We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 326. Our guest today was first on the podcast in 2020, episode 105, which is just crazy to me. So much has happened and so many episodes, but we are catching up with her today to hear about her career since we last spoke to her and really get the highlights from her 2023 WEF season. She was originally from Seattle. She grew up riding with her mother and equitation master Karen Healy, and she had so many honors in the equitation division, including a gold medal in the USET final. She was recruited to compete for the University of Georgia's equestrian team. She received a national title, several All-American honors, and she also got a degree in business management in college. So since graduating, she turned professional, and she went on to work with Olympians Eric Lamaze, Ben Mayer in Europe, and uh, horse dealer Neil Jones. So now she lives in the U.S. and is continuing her success and building her own business. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Carly Anthony. Hey, Carly. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. Well, thank you for taking the time. We we last spoke back in 2020 when you were on the podcast, and obviously a lot has happened since then. I would really love to know what are some highlights of yours and learning moments over the past couple of years. Yeah, I'd say we're definitely no longer wearing masks. So a lot has yeah, changed. Seriously. <laughs> a lot has changed. Wow. I would say since we last spoke, I have been growing my business, um, have had an incredible opportunity to work with some really special um, and talented horses. And I've been able to achieve a lot of firsts and uh, goals, dreams of mine. And I look forward to continuing to do that. In 2021, I competed on my first first Nations Cup team over in Portugal and in Spain. Um, That was that was a dream come true and a uh, privilege to be a part of. And uh, last year, I jumped my first five-star Grand Prix at the Hamptons, uh, which was also a dream come true yeah. um, with the same horse that I competed with in the Nations Cup. And um, this year, I have another horse as well that I've been bringing along um, that has just surpassed every milestone with flying colors and I'm incredibly excited about his future. He's an incredible horse with exceptional talent. And, um, it's, it's been a privilege to work with both of them and, uh, have a few new ones in the mix that I look forward to producing as well. Amazing. You're known for your performance in the jumper ring, but this past WEF season, you and your team spent some time in the hunters. So do you like kind of, (laughs) do you like kind of going back to the, you know, to the hunters back in between both rings? Tell me about that dynamic. I would say, um, each year, you know, or show that I'm not in the hunter ring and then I have to go back into it. I have more and more respect for the hunters. Mm. It is a, it is an art form and have endless amounts of respect for the talented hunter riders. 
you know, I think when you're doing it every day and, you know, together with jumpers, I think it's, you know, I think Jacob Pope does an incredible job. Mm-hmm. It just seems like such a seamless transition, but if you're not doing it every day, you really have a profound appreciation for what oh, yeah. you're able to Definitely. do. You know, um, I, I enjoy it when you have good horses to do it. It's, it's a lot of fun and it brings me back to my junior days. Yeah. Uh, the horse that I had this winter to do the hunters with was, it was awesome. It was super cute. Very easy to ride, found all the distances for me. So that, Love made that. my life a lot easier, but I definitely have a healthy respect for all hunter riders. <laughs> it's, it's it so wild at, at the top of both sports, how it, how it really can feel like two separate sports. I agree. And it requires a severe amount of dedication to be good in the hunter ring and mm-hmm. as well as in the jumper. And I find it very difficult to be good at both. And like I said, I think Jacob Pope um, is a good example of someone that can do both, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, there aren't there aren't yeah. very many that can. No, so, there really aren't. I am not one of them, but you know, <laughs> I can, I will do you can well. Dabble. I can dabble, but <laughs> I don't, I don't tend to make a habit of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, you had a really busy winter season and a super busy summer season coming up with such a busy show season. I'm sure you, it's kind of like essential to have an organized program to keep your horses and riders sharp. Like what does a typical training week look for, like for you these days? Oh, yeah, that's very well said. Um, I would say there is, it's been built up so much. The show schedule, there's very um, few moments to have some downtime, which, you know, back in the day, especially trying to get ready for indoors and you're trying to qualify and get points, it is crucial for downtime so that you can go home and and do all of your homework. Mm So, you know, on a week where we're not showing, um, I like to look back at all the previous weeks of when we were in the ring and, and look at the places where, you know, we could have done better, um, for the beginning part of season, there was, you know, a skinny plank after a forward line, it was a short line to a skinny plank that was just getting me every time. Mm. So in the off weeks, I would just be like constantly practicing. skinny. Yeah. Plank. Yeah. Um, and I would do the same with my clients, you know, review their rounds from the previous weeks and, you know, work on the, the holes that were missed and, um, you know, practice the weak points so that when you'd go back in the following week, you felt like your homework was done and there's always going to be new and fun things that you need to work on. But if you can fix what you'd, you know, missed the week prior, that's, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So typically what our weeks without showing look like. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of homework for someone who might not be showing as often or have access to a trainer frequently, like what are some things that a listener could be doing at home to kind of keep their horses prepared and, and keep their eye kind of prepared to compete down the road? Um, what I love doing, um, and a former client of mine, uh, kind of thrust on me and I was against at the beginning and then definitely was proven wrong, Hmm. um, was jumping courses or cantering courses either through cones or, um, if you want to really work on your eye, you can do it through poles, but you know, I like setting very challenging courses and practicing through the cones or over poles and 
that alone is hard enough. And you, you find even cantering through cones that you still miss your distance, mm. but in that breath, you're not over jumping your horse, right. you're practicing and you're doing that course and being as accurate as possible without using off, using up their legs as much as it would, if you were, you know, doing it over jumps, you know, because as a lot of us know, the jumps are just, you know, flat work with little speed bumps in between your flat yeah. work is the most important. Um, so for people that, you know, might not have the access to trainers at any level, um, and have things that they'd like to work on at home, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do that if you're not confident of jumping without help, you can do just as hard of a course at home over poles or three right. setting up cones. Um, I've really started using that a lot after one of my clients in the past was like, I think we should try this. And if I miss, then I ended up not, you know, <laughs> making my horse upset. Right. Right. <laughs> upset. I'm like, you know, I, I had to be open to learning a new thing. And that day I learned a new thing and it, yeah. it's something that I've been doing ever since. So if she's listening, she's going to be laughing. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, I mean, and that's like, that's such a big part of the sport, right? Just continuing to be lifelong learners. And then it's so cool that you're able to um, like have the humility in your program to be like, you know what, you learn something new every day and that's great. Every it's day. just going to make it better. Exactly. Honestly, if you're not learning something new every day, you're not being a, a true horse person because, oh my gosh, the things they will teach you if you just stay open mm-hmm. <laughs> to observing it, even if it's the smallest little lesson, right. you'll learn something new every day. And sometimes those things are, are what not to do. Right. You just have to be open to, to observing. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about one of your current horses, Lucky Charm. You've had some great success with him this winter season. Tell me what he's like in the barn versus in the ring. Is he very similar? What do you kind of work on with him at home to kind of keep him ready to go and fit for the show? Um, Lucky Charm is one heck of a horse. He is um, owned by a friend of mine out in Seattle and she is currently pregnant. And so she asked if I could keep him going, um, you know, while she was pregnant. So I feel very honored that she, you know, thought of me and trusted me enough to lend me her horse, uh, for winter season while she has her baby. And so I, you know, unfortunately I only get to have him for a short period of time, but it's been, it's been quite a privilege. And, um, he is, he's awesome. He has quite quite a personality as he's a chestnut. Mm. So he's got a little sass to him, but he's incredibly sweet and loving and, um, really works on, um, he works off of your relationship. So he, he loves, uh, his owner's name's Christina. He loves Christina with all of his heart. And so, you know, the first few weeks I had him, he was kind of like, you know, who are you? Yeah. And do not tell me what to do. (laughs) Okay. You know, I have to build this relationship with him and tell him that, no, you know, I'm definitely not Christina and I will never replace Christina, but Mm -hmm. for the next couple of months, you know, we kind of have to work together. And, um, you know, once he gets to know you, he's, he's a, he's a team player and he's been, a joy to have in the barn, very sweet and uh, a fighter and also insanely careful and competitive. And he has definitely been a pleasure to have on the team. 
When obviously, and this goes for, for any rider, when you first kind of start riding, you, you aren't quite as confident as, you know, having experienced what you've experienced now as a professional. So how do you, um, you know, for someone listening, what, what advice would you give them to really learn to become more of a confident rider? What recommendations would you have for someone who's like struggling with confidence? So I am, um, my, my own worst enemy when it comes to this, I've, I have done a lot of trial and error with this particular word, but I'd say the key word is patience. Um, I feel like a lot of people lose confidence because they have an expectation and this timeline in their head of how, how it should be going. And usually when, you know, you push through it, when you don't feel ready, that's when you start to lose confidence and you see it so often that, you know, the, you start with this new horse or you have, you know, a green horse or an experienced horse. It doesn't really matter what horse you have. And you have this expectation of, you know, how fast you want to achieve a certain goal. And rarely does it ever happen on the timeline that you set for. <laughs> Usually when you have that level of expectation, yep. it goes backwards. Mm-hmm. And I've found through many, many, uh, trial and errors with my, with the horses that I've, you know, ridden and, and been given. And also with my clients, when you rush the process, because you feel like you're on this time crunch, you never achieve, uh, what you end up setting out to achieve. And in that process, you lose an immense amount of confidence because you doubt yourself because you're comparing it to a timeline that you know, it was just set in your mind, um, your mm-hmm. horse didn't set that expect, you know, that timeline, nobody else has that timeline except for you. And in reality, it's, it's going to go at the speed that it's meant to go. And the more you allow that timeline to kind of play out how it needs to, the more you get to learn your horse, the less expectation you have, and the more confidence you end up having because you learn more about your horse. You're going at the speed that's most comfortable for both you and your horse. And, you know, ironically, you end up getting there actually a lot faster than you would if you set a firm timeline and you have immense amount of expectation. And I feel like that's, you know, you see that a lot more these days because people, you know, buy horses that have are, are achieving a certain level and they, you know, expect to just get on and continue to achieve at that level. And, you know, usually things end up going backwards and you have to, people get frustrated. And if you had just started at a, with less, you know, smaller expectation, less expectation, you end up achieving, you know, much higher Mm -hmm. goals at a much faster rate. (laughs) Definitely. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to practice. Mm -hmm. um, And it's a hard thing to hold people to Um, especially when at the beginning, if you do have less expectation, things do go well. And then that's when expectation starts creeping in. (laughs) Right. You know, I've, I've been there myself and, you know, I've, I've learned through many, many good experiences and more bad experiences that the more patience you have, the more confidence you'll end up getting in yourself and in your horse. In the summer months, I feel like a lot of places that we horse show also tend to have lots and lots of rain. And it's always the worst when you have, you know, a hot summer day with a bunch of rain and you also have a bunch of rain gear. And it's just like the worst feeling in the world, being hot and raining and 
disgusting and gross. But I want to talk about whether or not equestrian, because if you have not tried their breeches, oh my gosh, I am putting you on to a life-changing material that is absolutely so revolutionary and I feel like everyone needs a pair if not several whether or not equestrian breeches. First of all they are waterproof and I know when I say waterproof you say okay Bethany like maybe like a little sprinkle or like get some water on them and it's fine. No they actually their fabric passed rain test AATCC 35 I don't know what that means, but after looking it up, it tests, it really like measures the resistance to the penetration of water by impact. I, again, read this, read this on their website, looked it up to actually see what the heck it was. Still didn't believe it. So I have a couple pairs and I put them on, went right to the barn, into the wash rack, and I ran the hose over my leg. And I was absolutely shocked how the water literally ran off my leg. Normal, you know, like riding breeches, not to mention they fit so well. They're so stretchy, they're so flattering. There's a zipper in the back, um, you know, right below your waist um, band that literally holds your phone so you don't have to like wear anything or have worry about your phone slipping out of your pocket. It's just like so well made. And to top it off, the fabric is, not only comfortable, stretchy, incredible, it's literally rain resistant, which is just, I think, so revolutionary for our sport. So you've heard enough from me blabbering on. You need to go try them for yourself because I didn't believe it until I tried them for myself. So go visit their website. It's wonequestrian.com. So whether or not equestrian.com. Again, that's wonequestrian.com. Get yourself a pair of these breeches and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. They changed my life and I cannot wait to ride in them in Florida and in Kentucky all summer. I mean, truly, thanks to whether or not equestrian, rain does not have to freak you out anymore. So go check them out. You will not be sorry. You've accomplished so much in your career so far. What would you say is something else that's, you know, on the bucket list in the near future that you are hoping to achieve? Oh my God, that is a long bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. It should be. (laughs) Long bucket list. Um, But I would say, you know, there's a lot um, that involves my writing career and, and also not with regards to my writing. I think, you know, I would love to continue to compete at a high level, at a five-star level, or to do World Cup finals. But, you know, that's all dependent on what I have in the moment. Right. Um, so what I tend to tell myself is just be grateful for what I have um, and what I can accomplish every day. And if those moments present themselves to just, you know, work as hard as I can to take advantage of that opportunity But I'd say, you know, what's lost is I think for me, what's the most important thing is being able to give back or help support this sport in a positive way. I find, you know, when, if all is said and done, what I want to be remembered for, you know, I can go and win a lot of medals or, you know, win a lot of Grand Prix. But I think 
what I would like to be remembered for is my contribution to, to the sport mm. um, in a way where I can give back to people that might not have the opportunities to, or to somebody that wants to, you know, achieve a certain goal, you know, at any level um, to be able to help somebody do that is for me, what I enjoy the most. And while I would love to win as many Grand Prix as possible and to achieve at the highest level that I can, well, that's my, one of my largest goals. I also would like to be able to support others and, you know, be, be a good sportsman as well. I'm sure you have a long list of answers for this question, but what would you say is something that a top professional that you look up to in the industry has told you that you really carry on with your program and, you know, would pass down to others, you know, other riders or other young professionals? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of, (laughs) it'd be a full episode. I'm sure. Yeah. That's a full episode. (laughs) But that's also like secrets of the trade, you know, (laughs) share your secrets, Carly. (laughs) Um, I would say just based on, you know, taking, taking away what I've seen uh, from working with different professionals at the highest level um, is that the people you surround yourself with is the most important thing. Your team is the key to your success. Hmm. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean your, your grooms and your farrier. It's everything about who you surround yourself with every day that's what matters. You know, your significant other, your friends, everybody that's a part of your unit is what determines the the level of success that you have. Um, I've been a part of many teams and you can see, you know, in transitional periods and all those things, it, it all matters of your relationship with those people. And people who you can count on and can trust and feel comfortable and secure with, I would say that's what I've learned um, over the many years and now having a business of my own and going through that whole process of curating my team and building up, you know, the right vets and farriers and, you know, staff and clients and all those things, um, you know, the people that have the most amount of success have that nucleus around them that is strong and Mm -hmm. gives them confidence and support that they need to go in and achieve anything. I've asked you this before a couple of years back when you were on the podcast, but what would you say is an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? I think I want to answer it maybe the same as how I answered it two years ago. Mm. And um, it would be, and I'm going to add maybe a little side note to it, but it would be the EAP. Um, I am very passionate about that. I won the first year and after winning, I was able to go get a um, internship with Eric Lamaz. And uh, it was kind of just history after that. I went to go work for him for a long time and those gave me opportunities, you know, for the future and made the connections that I wouldn't have otherwise made if I hadn't have been a part of that program. And for somebody from Seattle, that's, you know, even though I had a professional mom in the industry and she did everything she could to get me out there as much as I I could, um, 
you know, being a part of that program helped open doors for me that otherwise wouldn't have been opened. So I'm a huge advocate of that program. It's grown a lot since um, its first year in 2009. And you've had incredible winners since then, Jacob Pope and Kathleen Driscoll. And I think Haley Barnhill was a part of it at some point. And um, you've had an incredible amount of professionals go through that program. And um, it's definitely not had the publicity that it's deserved in my mind. And um, to that note, I think the NCEA is also an incredible program that I definitely think is starting to pick up in popularity. Mm -hmm. There's waiting lists two years out. I mean, you have to start applying for uh, these schools freshman year of high school. (laughs) To me, that's insane. I mean, I was like going back and forth senior year on what I was going to do with my life. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I feel like when we were like, when we were going into college, it was like the idea of riding in on a college team was like so much quieter than it is now. Oh, I mean, it was more IHSA was like the hot thing and, and riding on a um, NCEA team was different. Not really, nobody really understood what it was about and what was different about IHSA and like what that whole thing entailed. And I think now it's picked up in popularity and for me, it's an incredible opportunity for our sport to take advantage of because I went to school and had, you know, my education was, you know, paid for, part of it was paid for. And you had, you know, personal trainers, you had physical therapists, you had mental health coaches. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And you had nutritionists and you had all these like media training. I mean, the list goes on. It's incredible. And even since I've graduated, it's been you know, made better and better since then. And when I went, I thought it was pretty incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. You know, the opportunities to learn and become better professionals after you graduate is, I don't know, it's just, it's an incredible thing. So those, those two programs and opportunities, I think are, you know, underrated maybe not so much the NCEA now that it's picked up a little bit yeah. in popularity, but those are two phenomenal programs in educating uh, the, you know, the future of our sport and how to become better horsemen, professionals, business men, women, you know, all these things um, that are needed. I mean, it's not just one thing to be a good rider. There's so many facets of this industry that are, you know, overlooked and mismanaged and could be done so much better. And those two programs help create better, stronger, abled professionals for the future. And I think that's, that's what we need. Definitely. For people who don't know a lot about Emerging Athletes Program, it's a USHJA program. How did you get involved? I saw a flyer at one of the shows Well, my mom saw a flyer at one of the shows. And um, at the time, Melanie Taylor Smith was um, heading the program Mm -hmm. and we'd spoken to her about it and she was so enthusiastic about it. And so it said that we should, you know, give it a try. And at the time, um, at the clinic that was being held, I think it was in Oregon, it was Joe Fargis that was our clinician. And I, you know, how can you say no to having yeah. a clinic from <laughs> Joe Fargis? You know, you just can't yeah. say no. Um, and the opportunities that were presented to, you know, if you win and all these things, and then the people that you got to meet in each clinic was just incredible. You know, you had these barn managers and um, stewards that got to be there and you got to ask all these questions and mm-hmm. learn from these awesome people that you would otherwise have never met. And, you know, just started at one clinic at a time and ended up at the finals. And 
Um, Peter Wilde was there. He was a clinician and, you know, it kind of just took off from there, but uh, it was definitely started out as flyers. And I don't know if, I think they do those still at the show. They post them around the show and we're working on getting the word uh, out there a little bit more. I'm on the committee now because I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, just giving it as much, you know, putting it out there as best as we can so that more people can join and be a part of it. Right. Well, Carly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on again and catch up with me. I think what you're doing is so exciting and so important for the industry. So thank you for everything you're doing and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure and um, I look forward to catching up again in the future. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.